Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. That'll be the place of our study tonight. <clears throat> when we were contacting those to speak, I had a couple in mind for Thursday night, <clears throat> but uh, they couldn't come, and so I said, well, I'll just take care of that night, and uh, won't have to worry about it. We were getting pretty close to the deadline, and so... Uh, I am very honored to be able to talk with you tonight about keeping the fire burning. We've been talking about camping out, and and Larry Cole, I thought, was going to wade right into my subject tonight when he's talking last night about how mesmerizing a uh, campfire could be, and uh, that brought back memories of when we uh, would go up to the Hollemans and how they'd have the big campfire up on top of the hill up there, and one night in particular, the uh, meteor shower came, and it was just absolutely stunning to be up there and to see that. And uh, it was really, it's always kind of relaxing, I think, and uh, very nice to sit around a, a campfire. A lot of people who are older grew up with fires in the fireplace at home. And I still really enjoy going to Cracker Barrel and getting a table near the fireplace. And I'll always say to Barbara, if you don't mind, let me sit facing the fireplace. And sometimes we'll sit on the same side even and and uh, have a little trouble understanding. Uh, she, I have trouble understanding her. But anyway, it's relaxing. It really is. I've always uh, uh, hoped that I would have a house sometime with one big room and a fireplace just like Cracker Barrels in it. And I, I thought that would really be something. That's never happened and probably never will, but it uh, can be. We're reading uh, from beginning in verse 8 to the letter of the Lord to the church in Smyrna. Let's read that entire section. We're familiar with verse 10, and that is the verse that serves as the basis for our study tonight. And But I want to read the entire letter, beginning in verse 8 of Revelation 2. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That particular passage, uh, verse 10, especially the latter part of it, has probably been quoted as, as many times as any verse in the Scriptures when we're dealing with living the Christian life. When we tell people what to do to be saved, we remind them the importance of hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. And then we always try to add, be faithful unto death. But oftentimes we uh, 
lift that out of context, do not really think about it within the context in which it was originally uttered. The Lord reminded the church and the brethren at Smyrna that they were going to suffer persecution, even to the point of being thrown in prison. And he tells them, he's telling them, some of you may even die there, but be faithful unto, not until, but unto death. Even if your faithfulness leads you or leads to your demise, you stay faithful to the Lord. Don't deny Him. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't walk away. When Jeremy put these lessons together, he wanted us to emphasize in this study the importance of remaining faithful and using the metaphor of keeping the fire burning. Got to keep the fire burning. Once the fire is lit, it's kindled, and it springs into life, we've got to keep feeding that fire as we shall see in our study tonight. For a lot of people, remaining faithful to the Lord is very difficult. It may be because of their past life, the habits that they have developed, the associations that they have had with other people. was talking to Brother Snow the other night, who does the prison ministry work, And he said that so many times they try their best to get the person with whom they're working who has come out of prison or maybe is uh, having problems and they come to them for help away from their evil associations. I've talked to law enforcement people here in Smith County over the years many times. Mr. Johnny Bain used to tell me If they let me put about 25 or 30 people in jail and keep them there, I could just about cut all the crime out. He told me that two or three times over the years while he was serving as sheriff. And I'm sure that there are others in law enforcement who would say that that's true. And as a preacher, I've given advice to some young people and to some older people. You're going to have to cut off some relationships. You're going to have to do that because as long as you associate with these people and they keep throwing these temptations in front of you, you're going to have problems. It's going to be hard for you to overcome that. So there's a lot of people who struggle with that. Day-to-day devotion is a dreaded drudgery drudgery to a lot of people. They think, oh, this is just so hard, you know. But really, we have learned this week in these studies that that's when we find meaning and joy in life is when we serve the Lord, even when it's difficult to do it. There's a lot of people think the Christian life is a bed of roses. The Lord never promised that. He never promised that we would be free from persecution. In fact, the Bible teaches us what? That all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. It's going to come in some form or the other. You'll notice in that verse 
that the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. How about that? The devil is going to throw some of you into prison. Uh, don't be fearful of those things that you are about to suffer. The Lord is warning them. That difficulty is on the horizon. But he said, it's going to be a test for you. You'll have tribulation 10 days. Did he mean literal 10 days? It could be, but highly unlikely. It seems that he's just saying it'll be relatively brief compared to eternity. Whatever persecution we endure, if we love the Lord and seek to serve Him, then we're going to make it through it. The call of the world often diverts our attention, doesn't it? It seeks to draw us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that John discusses in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, are very, very powerful. So Satan will see to it that we're going to be tempted. So we need to be prepared for that eventuality because it will happen. It will happen. I remember a man asserting in a Bible class many years ago, well now, I have a lot of weaknesses, but I would never be tempted in that area. In less than six months, he had succumbed to that very temptation. Paul said, wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We must never underestimate Satan, but we must never leave the Lord out of the picture and out of the equation and put our trust in Him. And through Him, we can overcome. The need to keep the fires burning. Failure to keep the fire burning will turn our lives into a bed of ashes. Have you ever thought about that? What happens to an untended fire? It goes out and... When it goes out, usually there's a bunch of old burnt sticks there, but sometimes it'll be nothing but a bed of ashes. And uh, they're not very warm, are they? Remember those old Western shows when Marshall Dillon would ride in and reach and touch the campfire? Well, it's still warm, so we're hot on his trail. You know, he's not far ahead of us. But if those ashes were cold, that told him came through here a good while ago. That's something that we need to remember. I remember Daddy saying many times, well, better chunk up the fire. He was simply saying, I need to put more wood on the fire. He might take that thing that we called a poker and go in there, you know, and stir those coals up and everything and then put some fresh kindling in there maybe and lay a big log of hickory in there. It wouldn't be long till we'd have a warm, warm house. Sometimes we'd have to open the doors uh, to get a breath of fresh air. My brother and I were given the job of building fires in a pot-bellied uh, stove at the schoolhouse back years ago. We were usually uh, the first of the building. <clears throat> we had to walk up down a ridge and off the point to the school building. And uh, the teacher asked for volunteers, someone to volunteer. And uh, my brother volunteered, and so I ended up being his helper. Uh, didn't do much, but uh, he built a pretty good fire too. Uh, another adage that I remember is throw another log on the fire. How many of you have heard that expression? We all have, haven't we, one time or the other. I still remember my, gra uh, my uh, great-grandfather's uh, house. It was a log structure. 
uh, with two large rooms and a dog trot in between that had been closed in by the time I remember. And then there was a, a new kitchen built off of the old one. This room was the kitchen. It had a huge fireplace in it. This room was the living quarters, served as a bedroom too. It had a huge fireplace in it. And, uh, and then uh, they had porches and all of that. But I remember my dad talking about uh, his grandfather uh, taking a huge backlog and uh, they got it through the door and he said, I remember us rolling it into that fireplace. And when you put that backlog in there, got the fire built. Once that backlog caught fire, you'd have fire for a long, long time. They knew exactly what kind of wood to use and so on. And against that backlog, you could put all this other wood and, and you could just keep a fire going for on and on and on. And it would still be burning the next morning, you know. You could kindle that up and, and keep it going and it would last a few days. But Solomon said something in Proverbs 26, verse 21. You might like to turn there and look at that passage. Uh, when he said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Now, isn't that common sense? That's about as common sense as you can get. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. The next verse says, as wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So this statement is sort of negative. It's about how people will stir up strife and they just keep throwing the wood on and the fire keeps burning and it gets higher and higher and hotter and hotter. But there's a positive application to be made with that as well. If that is true with evil and bad things, why couldn't it be true with good things? It is, isn't it? When we throw good logs on the fire and supply good wood to burn, then we're going to keep the fire burning, a positive fire. Instead of strife and so on, then goodwill. Solomon talks about, you know, turning away wrath with kind words. You can put an evil fire out by being good and speaking good things. How many times have you seen someone that was, maybe their temper flared and, and they were hot-headed and someone just spoke soothingly and kindly to them some word of truth from the Scriptures and you begin to see immediately a change in them. God's Word is powerful not only in converting souls from sin as we have learned throughout our studies this week, but also in reference to uh, behavioral problems. You know, it can be very, very helpful in getting those problems straightened out as well. The Bible gives us several examples of people who built fires. I guess about the first one that I thought of was Abraham. Genesis 22, he had wood and he had a fire of some kind, uh, coals or whatever, to take with him when he went to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And we're told in Genesis chapter 22, verses 6 through 9, that he built a fire. 
That fire had to do with sacrifice. It was his own son that was going to be sacrificed. Of course, you remember the story. God stopped him. Supplied a ram to be offered instead of the boy. I've told our people before about uh, Brother T.B. Larimore writing a beautiful article that appeared in the Gospel Advocate years ago. I think it was after he moved to California. And he took us, takes you through the journey of Abraham and Isaac going to that distant mountain where he would be offered as a sacrifice. And he talked about what they must have talked about during that journey. We have part of it. You know, uh, Isaac said, we've got the wood and the fire and all that. Uh, where's the sacrifice? You think that didn't pierce Abraham's heart? He was going to offer his boy. And his boy's asking him about that. But the Lord did intervene. Anybody have a comment? thought I saw a hand. Maybe somebody just scratching their head. But uh, as you think a little bit further about that, if you turn to the book of Leviticus, and uh, read the first chapter, you'll find that Aaron's sons built a fire. This too had to do with sacrifice. They had to lay the wood on the altar, and of course there was to be a perpetual flame burning. A fire was to be kept burning. And uh, from that, they were to take fire to start the other fires on the, well, we're going to offer a burnt offering. What do you got to have if you have a burnt offering? You got to have fire. So they kept that burning. When Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, a few chapters later, are destroyed for offering strange fire, it is usually agreed that they offered some other kind of fire or used some other kind of fire than what the law specified to be used. And as a result, God uh, consumed them and uh, destroyed them. And he told Moses, I don't want you grieving because, uh, told Aaron rather, don't want you to grieve because these boys committed a terrible sin against me. And so that tells us that God has great expectations of His people. There's a statement in Jeremiah chapter 7. It says, The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead the dough to make cakes. Whole families involved here. Father, he, uh, the children gather the wood. How many times were children sent out to gather wood years ago? We were. We did that at school. That was oftentimes a, a, a ritual during the afternoon recess period. Teacher would say, let's go up here on the hill and gather some kindling kids. And we'd all go up there, and there was this huge refrigerator box that had been pushed back under a table, and that was where we deposited that kindling. That's where my brother and I got our kindling to start the fire in the morning at the schoolhouse. But uh, the, this was a family thing uh, in this particular passage. Ezekiel adds this thought. He said, heap on the wood and kindle the fire in Ezekiel 24, verse 10. 
Do you remember anybody who warmed himself by fire? Peter. Two different accounts, Mark and Luke, uh, tells us that he warmed himself by the fire. And those that fire was the fire of an enemy. That was the enemy's fire. The people who had arrested Christ and were wanting to crucify him, that was a fire they built. And someone has said, be careful when you start warming your, uh, about warming yourself by the devil's fire. That's really a good thought to keep in mind because it will lead to something a lot hotter than we would ever expect. Do you know anybody else that built a fire? It was a hospitable fire. Book of Acts. Paul had been shipwrecked along with these other people. What did the people of Melita do for them, the natives of that island? They built a fire for them. It was raining and cold, and out of that, do you remember uh, the adder bit uh, Paul? Came out of a bundle of sticks. He was helping to gather the wood, evidently. Some of the blessings of a fire, have you thought about that? I've already described scenes wherein a fire is inviting. And if the fire is burning bright within us, other people will be drawn to it. A fire is a friendly thing, you might say. There's a, a, a friendly fire is burning and maybe a stranger comes along and he is drawn to that fire. And maybe a really great relationship will ensue. People become friends. Brother Jerry Phillips told me one time about, uh, I guess they would have been his great uncles. Uh, when the Battle of Murfreesboro was about to take place, there were two of his relatives who were brothers. That one was a Confederate, one was a Union soldier. Fighting on opposite sides, they met the night before the battle, in a tent during a raging rainstorm. And they talked and visited for I don't know how long, but it was the last time they ever saw each other. Now, I wonder if they had a fire under that tent. I hope they did. It was a cold rain, the best I remember him uh, telling us that story. But a friendly fire will draw others. Now, we hear about people being killed by friendly fire in time of war and so on. That's not the kind of fire I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fire like at Cracker Barrel. That's a pretty friendly fire. A fire also supplies warmth. It provides warmth against the cold, doesn't it? Man, I can remember when you get up some mornings and the house would be really cold. I can remember people talking about fruit freezing that was sitting in shelves right next to the fireplace. It got so cold in some of those hollows over in Jackson County. They'd freeze and burst sometimes. Water in the tea kettle sitting on the hearth would be frozen in the morning. Now, you need a fire under those situations. Uh, fire helps to prepare a hot meal, doesn't it? How many times has that happened? It supplies light, too. I can remember sleeping in some of my uncles and aunts' houses. The only light we had, the only nightlight we had was a flickering firelight. 
There was something about it when it danced off the walls and so on, you know, and you'd you know, kind of get spooky sometimes to a young boy. But the firelight was supplied light. Here's a point I want us all to remember. A fire will provide protection. We think of a fire as being destructive. But a fire will provide, uh, provide protection. How many times have you seen one of those stories, maybe from the West or whatever, uh, maybe it's an adventure story, and uh, these guys are out in the wild, and there's wolves or bears or whatever. Just about every animal is afraid of fire. They fear it. In the circus, the guy can take fire and keep that lion at bay. We have a lion who is trying to devour us. Have you thought about that? First Peter 5, verse 8. The devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And I know many times I've watched the movies where the wolves would be circling the fire. We're to beware of wolves. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? They come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. Got to keep the fire burning to keep them at bay. You got to keep them away from you. I remember seeing a movie one time where the fire went out and the wolves got dangerously close. And one of the first lines that the actor uttered was, get some wood on that fire. You got to keep that fire burning to keep the wolves and the lion away. So let's throw another log on the fire. I want to mention three logs. We could, we could mention a whole bunch. In fact, probably a good beginning place would be the Christian graces uh, where Peter talks about them in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Most of us, I think, would probably be able to recite those. Peter tells us that we are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, the New King James has some different words. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control instead of temperance. Temperance is self-control, we know. Perseverance instead of patience, and we must be willing to persevere, be able to persevere, and then godliness, brother, kindness, and love in the King, New King James. Those would be excellent logs. We need to throw those on. And it's not a matter of developing ourselves perfectly in any one of these before we go on to the next one. They need to be that bundle of sticks, really, that we have with us always to where we always kindle our fire with these things. We add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge and so on, and we'll have the fire going. But I want to mention three logs in particular. They'll all begin with an L, so maybe you can, uh, that'll help us to remember them. Let's be sure we throw on the log of love. Matthew 22 says the first and greatest commandment is what? Love God. How much? With all your heart, 
some of your heart? No, with all of your heart. It's always been pointed out in, by older brethren that uh, I've heard preach and from whom I have read over the years that the heart has four basic functions or four basic parts. And that involves, of course, the emotions, the intellect, the will, and the conscience. And many of the older preachers would use a chalkboard and they'd draw a heart on that chalkboard and then they would divide it into four categories. They'd say it has four compartments. And we know the heart does have parts, doesn't it? You know, this lobe, that lobe, and so on. But uh, this is not a lesson in biology. We know the human heart, the, the blood pumping organ, is not what the Bible heart is talking about. The Bible heart has to do with the functions of understanding, of being having an emotion, the will. That has to do with our action, you know. That's what motivates us. How strong a will do you have? We sometimes say a child is, boy, that child is strong-willed. What does the Bible warn against? Being self-willed, right? Self-willed is a dangerous thing because we are to wield or yield to God's will. We're to supposed to allow His will to rule and reign in our lives. So we love God with all our heart, not a part of it. We've got to love Him with the conscience, be sure that our life is in tune with His will and harmony with His will, and then our conscience can be clear. When we obey Him, we can have a clear conscience, but not until. Somebody said a clear conscience makes a really good pillow. And it does, doesn't it? Hard to sleep when your conscience is disturbing you. All the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. That's a difficult one to do, isn't it? That is a difficult command to love your enemies. Jesus did. Even those who killed him, he prayed for them while he was on the cross. Prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were not given the instant Jesus uttered that prayer. They were forgiven on the day of Pentecost when they obeyed the gospel, when Peter told them what to do. God answered his son's prayer approximately 50 days later. Sometimes we get in a hurry, don't we? We want God to give us everything we want right now. Lord, give me patience, but hurry. Remember that statement? I've seen it many, many times. Various places. Love one another. John 15, 12. Write these down. Romans 13, 8. Hebrews 13, 1. 1 Peter 2, 17. 1 John 4, 7. And on and on and on I could go with passages that tell us Love one another. We kind of should reach the conclusion anyway, in my opinion, that uh, God thinks that's important. Oh, but you just don't know. So, no, love him anyway. Well, he don't like me. Love him anyway. 
I told a person one time, there's one thing you cannot keep me from doing. He looked at me and I said, you can't keep me from loving you because God tells me to. And I'm going to do that. To the very best of my ability, I'm going to do that. That has to be our attitude. Love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't parade. It never fails. Read 1 Corinthians 13. We need this log of love. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25, Colossians 3.19. Wives, love your husbands. Titus 2 verse 4. Love God because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19. And whatever we do, may we never leave our first love. Revelation 2 verse 4. So let's throw on that log of love. The next log is going to be a loyalty. Out of love grows loyalty. We will be loyal to those that we really love. That's true in our marriage relationships. We love a person, we're going to be loyal to them. And if we love the Lord, we're going to be loyal to Him. Barry, I believe, has led this song, To Christ Be Loyal and Be True. That's a great line when you stop and think about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Loyalty is very important. What does it involve? It means being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, And he adds to that command the promise, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're going to be rewarded for our service to Him. And if we remain faithful unto death, as we saw in our text, we'll receive a crown of life. That's something to be desired. In Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said that a man will be loyal to one and despise the other if he is attempting to please two different masters. He said, you cannot please two. You, you can't serve both. And so he said, you cannot serve God and mammon in that context. That was the major point that he was making. You cannot do that. So it's an impossibility to serve the Lord, walk with Him, and at the same time walk with the devil and serve Him. The third log that we need to throw on is the log of learning. I wrote an article. I ran across it again here a while back. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about writing it. But uh, one of the things that people have been concerned about, especially in the field of education, uh, about the COVID pandemic is the fact that a lot of children were, quote, and this was a quotation from an article about this, they were losing their learning. That is, they weren't, they weren't being followed up with about what they had learned previously, and they were going so long without classroom instruction and, and all of that that they were really getting way behind. They were losing their learning. That can happen to us as Christians too, can't it? Don't mean to embarrass him, but Barry Cook is an avid reader of the Bible. He's read it through several times now. We started uh, uh, 
daily Bible reading thing back years ago and urging all the members here to be daily Bible readers. And there was a, a sister in Christ, Gay Yeaman, who it was. She's since passed on to her reward. But she had, she said, I've never read the Bible through. I'm going to do it. And once she got started, she said, Edward, I'm finding things that I had no idea was in the Bible. She said, it's very entertaining and very interesting as well as being instructive, you know. And of course, she ended up reading it through several times before she passed away. But uh, we can lose our learning if we, I'm not saying that you have to, quote, read the Bible straight through, you know, in order to be a faithful Christian and you have to do it every year or whatever. But you need to read the Bible every day. We all need to get in that habit because if we don't, we lose our learning. We're not being fed properly. We will become really weak spiritually. What does Jesus say in the invitation that he extends in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30? Come and do what? What? Follow, but in the invitation he said, Learn of me. Come and learn of me. Let me be your teacher. So we need to be like Mary who sat at his feet evidently drinking in everything he said. Martha was a little bit perplexed about that. and She said, you need to tell her to get up and come help me serve. And Jesus said, no, Martha. Martha, Martha. That's a very interesting story and event. So we need to read, read, read. That which is written is intended to be read. God has given us His written Word. That would imply, as we'll be seeing in a future lesson that I'm going to deliver, that implies that what's written needs to be read. We need to give attention to reading. Give attendance to reading, Paul told Timothy. And he evidently was an avid reader because he told Timothy to bring a cloak and so on, but bring the parchments. Parchments were writings. He wanted to read. Read the Bible and you will learn so much. Someone said, read it through, pray it in, live it out. Read it in. Pray it, uh, read it through rather, pray it in and live it out. Let people see that word living in you. When should you read it? Read it in the morning when you arise. When should you read it? Read it at mealtime. Be good to start every meal with a Bible reading and a prayer. Not just a prayer, but have a Bible reading too. I remember Brother Gardner at Freed Hardeman urging us to stand up when the Bible was read like the people did in Ezra's day. He said, sometimes we stand to sing. Sometimes we stand to pray. Let's stand while we read the Bible to show our respect and reverence. We stand when the flag is raised, at least I do, and I'm sure that most of you do too. And we need to show respect for God's Word. So we've thrown on three logs. What are some other logs that we could throw on? Well, we've thrown on the Christian graces too. Anything else that anybody's thought about?
What log would you say we needed to throw off? Kindness. Kindness. Log of kindness. I'm sorry? Forgiveness. That's an excellent log to throw on, isn't it? We can't be forgiven unless we forgive. Bible is very clear in making that point. What else? Service to others. Service to others. That's right. We're we're supposed to be, as God's children, followers of Christ, servants. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant. And that's what all of us should aspire to be. Servant first and foremost. Uh, You hear so many people say, uh, you know, and ask the question, what's in this for me? Uh, We need to be asking, what can I do for others? What can I do for others? It's amazing what a change that will make in our lives when we develop that attitude. We appreciate so much your being here tonight. It's been wonderful to study with you for this lesson from God's Word. So let's keep the fire burning. But what about the fire in your life, in your heart, in your soul? Is it flickering and fading and about to go out? Or is it burning brightly? If it is fading and flickering, and maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe the droughts and the wind currents of sin are disturbing the fire and so on. We got to keep throwing on the kindling. We got to kindle that fire and throw on some bigger logs then that we've talked about tonight in order to keep that fire burning brightly.